Worthy is the Lamb. Today, we're going to be in the book of Job, if you would like to flip there. I feel like I have already crossed the first hurdle of the morning. I got new progressive bifocals, and I did not fall coming up the steps. So we have accomplished one goal already. Job. We're going to be throughout the book of Job. But we're going to start uh, this morning at the very beginning of it. Uh, We've all faced difficulties and trials in our life from time to time, and they come in various forms. Uh, But however, there may be times when we face what we could consider a tragic time. Uh, Maybe it's a death of a loved one or something else that we just see as tragic uh, in our lives. And sometimes the tragedy may leave us with more questions than we have answers uh, in fact, that's, that's true most of the time, that we have a lot more questions than we have answers about why something happened or why we're going through something that we're going through. And so probably nowhere else in the book of the Bible do we find somebody that had so many tragedies and so many struggles than what we read about Job. So I wanted to spend some time uh, there this morning. Now, we're all familiar with the the story of Job, but I want to look at it a little bit differently this morning than maybe we typically do because typically you read through and you know the conversation that's taking place between God and Satan, but when we go through it that way, a lot of times we forget the position that Job's in and we kind of take ourselves out of it because when tragedies happen to us, we're not privy to all the information that God has. We're just kind of where we are at the moment and we find ourselves in these tragic circumstances. So that's the way I want to look at it this morning. We're just going to start with Job not talking about the scene that's taking place in heaven. And we're just going to kind of go through and look at how Job deals with the things that come his way. And so the very first thing that we read about Job is Job uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz who was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And so when we look at this, the first thing we find out about Job is that, that he's somebody that is righteous. He's somebody that is upright. He's somebody that is just. And so I think with this little idea to begin with, when we find out the things that happened to Job here in the next few verses, we can rule out that it's because it's something that Job has done. Job has not done anything to bring about the circumstances that he's getting ready to go through. Job has not done anything to cause the things that are getting ready to take place. And so when when the writer puts this out there, I think he wants us to understand that Job was somebody that that was doing the right things. He was not doing anything to cause these tragedies to come upon him. And so the next thing that we read about Job is that Job is extremely blessed. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East." And Job had a large family, and back in those days when you had a large family, that was a sign of God's blessing. It was a sign that God was pouring out his blessing and provisions upon you. And so here's Job with 10 kids, and then he has all these oxen, he has all these cattle, he has all these camels, that he's known as the greatest man of the East. So Job had a lot of wealth. Job had a lot of blessings that we find in his life. And so he was blessed materially, he was blessed with his wealth, with his wealth, he was blessed with 
a large family. And so Job seemingly was blessed by God in all aspects of life. When we look at what Job had, Job had everything probably that somebody would want. Right? I mean, he, when you look at his life, you think, man, that guy has got it all. He has everything that you could possibly want. And so he was seemingly blessed in ways that many of us cannot fathom. But then we find the tragedies that come upon Job. And we find those start to take place in, in verse 13 in chapter 1. So if you will scroll down there to verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the the Sebaeans fell, the, fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants at the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. In a matter of minutes... Everything in Job's life changed. I mean, he didn't have a break. It was like while one person was telling him one thing, somebody else came and stood in line to give him the next bit of bad news. It wasn't like this was spread out over time. This was like one person after another, almost like four people just came and stood in line and said, we've got some things to tell you. And they just start going through and telling Job all the things that he had lost. And from what we read here, he's lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his home. Everything that he had, he's lost in this one moment. And now, as you know, the last few weeks, there's been a tragedy that's taken place that's touched our church as well as other churches. And when we, those things like that happen, we're left wondering why. Why did this take place? What in the world could be the possible reason for something like this taking place? And I'm sure this is what Job's thinking. Job's standing there going, why in the world did this happen? But what we want to look at is how does Job handle the situation? Look at verse 20. It said, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. Now this is the way in those days that you would describe a grieving process. This was what they did when they were grieving. The men would rip their clothes like that. They would shave their head. They would use ashes and things. But it was a way of grieving. And so the first thing we see from Job's uh, situation that he's going through, the first step we do when we have a tragic loss like that is to grieve. We have to grieve. God created us to grieve. God created us with emotions. And so when things like that take place, we have to grieve. We have to go through that process of grieving. And we know that it's okay to grieve because Jesus, when he lost his friend Lazarus, it said Jesus wept. Jesus himself. So we know this is something that we're created to do, is to have that time of grief, and your body will grieve one way or the other. You may not take time to grieve, but you will grieve. It will take, it will take form in something else. Maybe you don't recognize that's what's happening, but your body will eventually grieve. I kind of know this from personal experience. Um, 
My dad had two brothers that died within just a few weeks of each other, and he never showed any outward signs of grief. Never. But I believe from that, he ended up having a nervous breakdown in which his personality completely changed. He was no longer the person that I knew just because of the way his behavior changed, the way of his outlook changed, his whole personality changed. And I personally believe it's because he never took the time to grieve. When you lose two brothers within a few weeks, I mean, we're looking at Job losing everybody in, in a day. But when you lose family members within a couple of weeks of each other and you never really grieve on the outside, your body's going to grieve. It won't be the way that you want it to, but it's going to take place because we are not built to go through life without having emotions, without having times of loss and grief. We're not built to do that. Jesus, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept. He wept for the loss of his friend. He wept for the feeling that his friends were going through who lost their brother. Jesus wept. And so God created us and gave us emotions. And so when we suffer loss and we suffer tragedy, we have to grieve. And so Job took the time to grieve. The second thing we notice that Job did is the last part of that verse. After he fell on the ground, it said he worshiped. When we go through tragic times and we go through tragic circumstances, we have to continue to worship God. We have to continue that relationship, that closeness with Him. We have to do those things because that's the way we're built. And who else can understand what we're feeling than God? Who better can minister to our hearts than Him? Even though we may have questions of why and we don't understand why things happened the way they did, we are to worship Him. There's nobody who understands who we are and what we're going through better than He does. After all, He sent His Son to die for us. He sent His Son to die for us. Nobody can understand that greater than Him. And in fact, one-third of the Trinity dwells inside of a believer. Right? Dwells inside of us. And Paul tells us in Romans that He dwells inside of us. And when we are hurt so bad that we don't even know what to pray, He intercedes on our behalf. And He makes groanings to the things that we need to be praying about so that God knows what we're wanting to pray. We are built to do this. In times of tragedy, we must turn to the Lord and rely on His comfort and peace because He's the only one that can bring it. He's the only one. He's the only person that can bring peace to our hearts during the tragic circumstances. And so I want us to look at what Job's perspective was. Job had a proper perspective. Look at verse 21. And he said, speaking of Job, after he fell down on the ground and worshiped, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. And so he said, I'm looking back at what I had when I started. I had nothing. I'm looking back at my birth. I had nothing. I'm looking forward to the point when I die. I'm going to have nothing. Right? Nothing we have here on this earth will make that transition to heaven. Nothing. You're going to leave it all here. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter who you are. Whatever you have here will be here when you go to heaven. You're not going to take it with you. Job recognized that. He said, Look, when I die, I'm going to have nothing. I didn't have anything when I came into the world. When I leave the world, I'm not going to have anything. But look what he says. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, I had nothing when I came into the world. I'm going to have nothing when I leave. And because I've lost it while I'm here, it's okay. God gave it all to me anyway. Does everybody understand that everything you have is a gift from God? You can do nothing to get it. If God doesn't want you to have it, guess what? You're not going to have it. If God wants to take what you have, you're going to lose it. There's nothing you can do one way or the other to change that. If God decides, like in this case with Job, that he's going to take everything that he has, you're going to lose everything you have, and you can't do anything about it. If God decides he wants to give you everything, you're going to get it, and it's nothing that you've done to get it. Now, we may work. You know, as, as the Scripture tells us we're supposed to do, we may go out and we may work and do those things. But the whole thing is, God will bless you the way that He desires to bless you. And so Job looked back at what he had when he came in. He looked ahead at what he was going to take with him. But then he looked up and he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we know that this is pleasing to God because look what the next verse says in 22. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God. So we see in the grieving process, it wasn't a sin. We see in the worshiping process, of course, it wasn't a sin. We see that him looking back and saying, I had nothing when I came in. I'm going to have nothing when I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This was nothing that Job did was a sin, and he did not charge God with wrong. And so Job has gone through this, but he's not done. You would think, surely this guy's not going to have anything else happen. I mean, he's lost everything. Surely nothing else is going to happen to Job. But let's look at chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now Job's lost his health. He's lost all of the material wealth he had. He's lost his family. Now Job's lost his health. Job has nothing, right? I mean, Job has nothing. We're not sure what kind of disease this was that Satan afflicted Job with, but the symptoms were terrible. He had severe itching because we, we read that, you know, that he took a piece of pottery and he was scraping himself while he was setting the ashes. So he had severe itching. He had running sores and scabs. This also led to other health, health issues because now Job had basically lost his health. It got so bad, in fact, that Job's friends, when they came to him, didn't even recognize him. That's how bad Job looked with all the things that he had gone through, that his friends didn't even recognize who he was. And now look what happens in verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your, your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so now his wife comes and she says, look, you've lost it all. You've lost everything. We've lost our family because don't forget she's in this as well, right? I mean... It's her children that they've lost too. It's her home that they've lost too. It's her wealth that they've lost too. And so now she comes to him and she goes, look, we've lost all these things. 
Are you still going to hold fast to your integrity? Are you still going to say that you're an upright and a just man? We've lost all these things. Why don't you just curse God and die? And we looked at that thinking, man, that's kind of harsh for her to say that to him. But, you know, the, the, the dying part was probably because she didn't want to see him go through what he was going through. All of us know that when we have a loved one that has some kind of a disease and they have to suffer through it and we have to watch them suffer through it, we know how much it hurts. We know much how, how much it aches in our heart to see somebody go through something like that. And so here's Job. He's, he's in this situation, and now his wife's saying, just curse God and die. Maybe if you curse him, he'll just kill you and get this over with. Look at what you're going through. I don't want to see you go through this. And so his wife reacts in a different contrast to how Job reacts, because as she's saying, why don't you curse God and die? Look what Job is saying. He's saying, you sound like one of the foolish women. That you would speak and say, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And then once again, we see in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So what Job is saying is not a sin. Job, Job is doing exactly what God desires for him to do in the situation. And so one of the things we have to remember that in times of severe trials and tragedy, our first question should not be, how can I get out of this? That's what his wife was doing. How can I get out of this? How can I get out of this situation I'm in? Our first question should not be, how can I get out of this? But instead it should be, how can I glorify God in this? That's what Job did, right? Even in the midst of everything that was going on, Job still glorified God. Job still worshipped. Job still said, look, God gave me everything I had. God has taken it away. Who am I to question him? And so he does all these things just exactly as God would desire for him to do. And you know, Satan often likes to tempt us through others who are close to us when we're going through tough times. Adam and Eve, right? Abraham and Sarah, temptation. Job and his wife, I mean, there's other examples throughout Scripture that we see that people are tempted through those who are close to them. But when we're going through those trials and we're going through those tragedies, we shouldn't look about how can I get out of this. She was saying, Job, just die. Just die. Get it over with. I want out of this. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to continue going down this path that we're going down. Let's just get out of this. You die, and I can move on. But Job, once again, glorified God in all that he said. And so Job, there's two things that Job absolutely refused to give up, and that was his faith in God, and that was his integrity. And I'm telling you, when all else fails your faith in God will stand. Your faith will carry you through whatever you're going through as long as you cling to your faith. You have to cling to your faith. And even though God had allowed evil and suffering to come into his life, Job was not going to rebel against God. He was not going to say, God, I curse you, just kill me. He was going to trust God. Now later, he even argued with God but he was not going to allow his sufferings to cause him not to honor God. Now, we know during this affliction that this time was taking place uh, in, a, in chapters later, we see that his friends came and they sat down with him. His friends come and they sat down with him. They didn't even recognize who he was. But they came and they sat down with him, and for seven days and seven nights, nobody said a word. Can you imagine that? 
Seven days and seven nights, nobody said a word. And many times the best way that we can help people that are going through tragedy is just to be with them. Just to be with them. Because I'm telling you, when you go up to somebody that has suffered some kind of a tragedy, some kind of a tragic circumstance, you can't explain it. You can't. There's no way that you can explain it. You can't tell them, oh, well, this is why you're going through this. You can try. But who are we to think we know why they're going through what they're going through? Do we know who God is? I mean, do we have the thoughts that he has? We don't know why God's allowing things to happen in people's lives. We can't see those things. And so a lot of times, the best thing we can do is just to sit down and be with them. Just to sit down and try to comfort them, not with words necessarily, but sometimes it just takes, you know, a hug. It just takes praying with somebody. Uh, There's no way that you can explain it to them. There's no way that you are going to take the hurt and the pain away that they have. Only God can do that. But people appreciate it when you'll sit and cry with them or when you'll sit and hug them or when you'll just sit with them like his friends came and for seven days nobody said a word. They just sat there for seven days and seven nights. Not a word was spoken. And so sometimes the pains that we're going through, it makes us forget the joys and the blessings that we've been given. I'm sure at the moment that Job was sitting there for this seven days and seven nights after he had lost his wealth and he had lost his home, he had lost his kids, that he's sitting there and I'm sure that he begins to forget about how long he enjoyed those blessings and all the memories that he had in those blessings and he had now become focused on the hopelessness that he felt at the moment. And so Job finally gets to a point where he curses the day he was born. He curses the day that he was born in chapter 3. After the seven days, in verse 1 it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And he said, Let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. And so when Job starts to finally question why, he gives four different why questions. And, you know, we get, we get called to that sometimes about asking why. Why me? Why me? Why me? Why us? Why this? Why that? You know, we always want an answer. And so we ask that. And we continually ask that. And a lot of times we'll ask that to somebody else, and they'll give us an answer. And that may not be the right answer. God is the only one who can answer why we're going through the circumstances that we're going through. And you know what? Sometimes he doesn't tell you. Sometimes you'll never know why you're going through what you go through. And so we cannot spend a great deal of time asking the why questions. But Job, once he started asking the why questions, he asked four whys. The first one is verse 11. 11. He said, why did I not die at birth? The second one, why did the knees receive me, meaning that he was born? Verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery? Meaning, why was he born to be in misery? Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden? Job said, why was I even born? If I'm going to go through this, why was I even born? What's the point? Why am I going through these circumstances? Why am I going through these difficulties? Why was I even born if this is the way my life's going to be? And while they are all phrased differently, basically Job is asking, why was I born to go through this? And now not all the things which took place between Job and his three friends, you know, that we're going to talk about here. If you've never read through the book of Job, you need to read through this just to see how this conversation took place between uh, he and his friends. But we're going to skip now all the way over to chapter 38. 
Job had been asking these why questions. And, and like I said, you need to go back and you need to read these conversations between he and his friends because they were accusing Job of having sin in his life. That's why he's going through these things, which we know at the first part of Job, that's not the case because he was a right, a right and just man. So we know that's not the case for why he was going through these things. But anyway, after Job had finally questioned, wanting to know, God, why was I born? Why did you allow this to happen to me? And you know what? It's okay to ask the question why. You know how we know that? Because Jesus said that while hanging on the cross. My Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked the question why. It's okay to ask the question why. But you can't get so hung up on the question why that you think God's got to give you an answer. Because God doesn't have to answer anything. Jesus asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we know it's okay to ask the question why. Job has asked the question why, and he asked it in four different ways. And then as he's going through these things with his friends, he also talks about the why part in there. But then when we get to chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Basically saying, Job, who are you to question me? And now God goes through, and I'm not going to read all this. You need to go through and read this yourself. But basically, God goes through and He asked Job 70 questions. Where were you when I created the heavens and earth? Where, when you, where were you when I told the sea only how far it could go? Where were you when I did this and when I did that? Where were you? Who are you? So basically, God goes through 70 questions that He's asking Job. And the whole, the whole context in what He's asking him is, Who are you to question me, Job? What makes you think that you have the right to question me about the things that I'm allowing you to go through? We may think we know how God operates, and we may think we know why He allows things to occur the way they do, but the reality is we don't have a clue. We can only see right here where we are. That's it. We can't see anything else. We see right where we are at this moment in time, but God sees it all. God sees it all. I always use the illustration, we're like a little ant crawling up this wall over here. All we see is this wall where we're crawling. We can't see the ceiling. We can't see the walls. We can't see the floor. We can't see the balcony. We can't see anything, but God sees it all. And where we are on our little spot at the time, we're asking, well, why in the world, God, would you allow this to happen? God says, who are you to question me? Were you here when I put it all together? Why are you not questioning me about how come I blessed you? We don't ever question that, do we? God, why have you given me all these good things? It's when things go bad that we start asking those questions. And so he said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And our finite minds cannot grasp how or why an infinite God would allow things to happen the way they do. But in the following verse, God lets Job know that he's the one in control and he was the one who created everything and put it into order. That's what those 70 questions are. God is basically saying, Job, where were you when I did all these things? Why are you questioning me? Why are you asking? You were not here when I did these things. And so that goes from chapter 38 over to, we're going to look at chapter 40 if you'll flip over there. Aren't you glad we're not reading all these? It took Dwight like what, a year and a half to go through Corinthians? Could you imagine going through all these chapters of Job today? 
So I had to pick and choose the parts that I really wanted to emphasize out of this. But you need to go back and read these things. And so now, starting in chapter 40, it's almost like that when you were a kid growing up and you decided to question your parents and then your parents decide to answer you, that's kind of what this is like. Chapter 40, verse 1, And the Lord said to Job, Shall I find a fault finder? Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Now in verse 3, Job's already figured out he stepped across the line he shouldn't have really stepped across. Right? I mean, he understands now, uh-oh, I've gone too far. So Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He says, look, I'm done. Okay. I realize now I've stepped across the line. I shouldn't have gone across. I'm going to back up. But look what God says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. What do you think Job's thinking now? God said, all right, you want to know these things? You show me what you know. I'm going to bring things to you and you answer me. It's kind of like one of those arguments between a parent and child when you're having that argument and they say, shut up and listen to me. And then when you shut up, they say, answer me. Job got quiet. God said, no, you're not going to get quiet now. You're going to answer me. And so he stepped across a line he knows that he shouldn't step across. And then when we get to chapter 42, Job repents and God restores Job's fortunes as well as his seven sons and three daughters. Not the same ones, but he gives him seven sons and three daughters. He gives him much more than he ever had wealth-wise. His health is back. And so God returns everything that he had allowed Satan to take away from Job. And so at the beginning of Job, let's go back there now because now it is the time that you want to look at a couple of things. The author of Job gave us the information at the beginning to which Job wasn't privy to. As we read it, we can read why Job's going through the things he's going through. But Job had no clue. I mean, Job was just kind of going along enjoying life, right? I mean, he had everything. And so he was just enjoying all the blessings that God had given him. And then all of a sudden, boom, within a matter of minutes, he lost it all. And so he had no idea about what was going on. But you know what the whole point of this was? Do you know what the whole testing was that, that Job was going through? The whole point that he was going through was, he, Job was there and he was a, a man who worshipped God. And Satan had basically said, well, God, the only reason he's worshipping you is because you blessed him. You've given him everything, and that's the only reason he's, he's, that he's, he's worshiping you. And so the main point of what the book of Job is talking about is that Job worshiped God for who God was, not for what he had given him. Job worshiped God for who God was, and not because of what he had given him. And we see this as we go, let's go back here to uh, chapter 1. And in verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, 
He will curse you to, his, to your face. This was the whole point. The whole point was, God was having a conversation with Satan, and Satan was saying, the only reason that Job will worship you is because you've blessed him. And God's saying, no, Job worships me because I am God. Job had no, Job had no idea. Right? I mean, he had no idea this conversation was taking place. Job was just kind of going along, and it was like all of a sudden God chunked him under the bus. Right? I mean, he had no clue. He had no idea that any of this was taking place. And then look over in chapter 2, when, when the health goes. Chapter 2, verse 4. And, well, starting at verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth? Because he said, Look, He's passed this test already. I've taken everything he's got, and he's still worshiping me. Have you considered my servant Job? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without a reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. God did that, allowed Satan to, to take his health. Job still what? Praise God for who he was. The whole point of this is that we have to praise God and worship him for who He is and not for what, he what He's given us. And it doesn't matter what we're going through. Our sole responsibility as believers is to worship God for who He is and to spread the gospel to the, to the nations so that more people are in the kingdom of heaven. Worship God for who He is. Sometimes God may give us a small glimpse of why he's allowing something to happen. And sometimes it's just a teeny tiny glimpse because there's other ramifications that we may not see for the rest of our lives. We may die and never know some of the ramifications that come from something. And so when you see tragedy take place and when you see things take place and you're like, why in the world does God allow this to happen? In the accident that we've been a part of as Jada's volleyball team and so many kids at Boone and, and things that, that have taken place, at least 17 people have come to accept Christ. Amen. Through tragedy, through circumstances that we look at and go, how in the world can this be any good? We don't see any good that can come from this. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You're right here on this little dot. This is all you see. Trust me. Keep worshiping me. Keep worshiping me, worshiping me for who I am, not for what I've given you. And so in both good times and bad, this is, this is the thing we have to remember. God at times uses tragedy in the lives of people to draw others to himself and to be glorified in ways that we can't imagine. So our responsibility is in both good times and bad, let's be like Job and worship God for who he is and not just for what he gives. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But at the end of it, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us.
to have a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you pour out upon us freely. Lord, that we don't deserve, we've not done anything worthy to get. But Father, you've given them to us out of your goodness and out of your gracious heart. Father, so many blessings that we take for granted, just the ability to get out of bed in the morning, just the ability to see, the ability to hear. Father, the ability to gather around others and to worship you. Father, all these things are blessings that you've given to us. The wealth we have, the family, everything is a gift from you. And Father, when things happen in our lives that we don't understand, may we remember it's okay to ask you why, but you don't always have to answer. All we know that we're supposed to do is to continue to keep our eyes focused upon you, to love others, to minister at the opportunities that we have. And Father, I pray that as we go out throughout the world being salt and light for you, Lord, that when we see these circumstances come upon people, Lord, that we would take the time to maybe just sit with somebody. Lord, that we would take the time to give them a hug. Father, we would take the time to show the love of Christ. We may never understand the how and the why, but Lord, we put our faith in You. We put our hope and we put our trust. Father, I pray as we go out in our day-to-day life, we would be a faithful representation of that love and grace that You've shown us. Lord, that we would show it to others and it would make them want to know why we're the way we are. And Father, that we would have that opportunity to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. And Father, may we always remember that no matter the event, no matter the tragedy, you can bring glory for yourself. And you are God and God alone. Father, I pray that each of us will take time at this moment to pray, maybe for healing, for a tragedy we've experienced, maybe for a way to help others. But Lord, I pray at this moment we would seek your face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.